this episode of the podcast is brought to you by Anchor. If you don't know what Anchor is and you're thinking about starting a podcast, you should probably find out what Anchor is because Anchor is a free way to host your podcasts. It also gives you creation tools like the ability to record yourself, record with other people, edit as well, and do it from your phone or your computer. You don't need to go buy fancy tools to start. You can start with Anchor. And you can hit the nice distribute button, and it's going to send it out to all the places you want it to be, like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, and more. In addition to that, you can make money from your podcast with no basic listenership. In other words, if you only have 10 people because you're just starting, you can still monetize that. It's really hard to find a better place to start. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm and get started on the crazy podcast journey. What you're about to listen to right now is actually something I recorded originally for Patreon. Right now I've been doing an experiment over on Patreon where I do an episode like what you're about to hear right now, every day. And I recorded this, and I got to the end of it, and I decided, you know what? I want to put this out into the public feed. And I wanted to make it an official episode for the public feed. You will hear me say things like diary and see you tomorrow and stuff like that, because I recorded it for that. But if you're interested in hearing these extra episodes, I think I've done 10 so far, go over to patreon.com forward slash chat hall. Enjoy. Another night, another diary. You know, one of the things that I tried to refrain from in the public podcast that I have been refraining from in these diaries as well is politics. There's a lot of reasons for that, but the main reason is I feel like uh, it's an avalanche. You know, like once I start talking about it, it's all I'm going to talk about. You know, like right now, my my Twitter name is chat is doom scrolling until January 20th. Doom scrolling is this term that I've just run across recently. This idea when you open, like, for example, Twitter and you're not opening it for a uh, spontaneous experience. You know, you're not opening it to see what what Twitter has for you, but you're literally opening it up to look for what's wrong. Like, what's wrong with the world? What's going on? I find myself doing it all the time, and I'm actually really, really trying hard to break myself of it. Because in reality, I am not a strict uh, one party or the other person. Which is not to say that I'm a little bit of both. I'm a lot of bit of neither. In reality, I I just think that political parties are are dangerous because they're tribes. And uh, when you get too tribal, especially with stuff like this, you get stupider. (laughs) So I'm going to talk about something that's related to politics, but just it's not really me making asserting a political opinion. It's me just kind of like applying critical thinking to something. 
So one of the one of the problems, actually, I should credit an interview that I heard. It was uh, actually it wasn't an interview. I take it back. It was Brett Weinstein's podcast. Sorry, wrong Weinstein. Eric Weinstein's podcast, The Portal. I'm not a frequent listener of the show, but I am aware of it. And something led me back to it today. And I came across an episode that was him reading three essays that he'd written, which, by the way, really like that. Probably going to steal it. (laughs) Really like that idea of taking some writing and reading it in an episode of the podcast. Although I think that it's a little, number one, I think I'm a better reader than him. He's a little, I am reading off the paper with a I am reading voice. But also, I, th- I feel like after I read it, I would want to uh, extrapolate and ramble, you know, like break it down a little bit afterwards. I feel like that's only fair. But anyways, I like that idea. The three articles he'd written that he described, one of them, he talks a lot about uh, Trump. He's not a Trump fan, but he's also not like uh, a full Biden guy either. And what I found interesting about it, I don't, I've only listened to it once, and it's the type of episode, especially since it's three different essays, that I can't really say what I feel about it until I've listened to it many times, because it's dense. There's a lot of things said there. But one of the things that I latched onto it, which is inspiring what I'm about to talk about, is this idea of there is a programming being done to us by the media. Now, this isn't a rant about, you know, like the media is the enemy of the people, that kind of bullshit. The media is an arm or an engine of commerce. Plain and simple. They function to make money. So they will do what it takes to make money which means sensationalizing things. We know this. This is not a modern invention. Whip out Google, or my preferred search engine, DuckDuckGo, because I don't like to be tracked, and type in yellow journalism. The first thing you will learn is that the origins of this go all the way back to the 1890s. And what yellow journalism is, essentially... You know, I'll actually read the first sentence of Wikipedia. Yellow journalism and the yellow press are American terms for journalism and associated newspapers that present little or no legitimate, well-researched news, while instead using eye-catching headlines for increased sales. So apparently, there was a time when there was a difference between journalism and yellow journalism. I feel like almost all journalism now, to some degree is yellow, personal opinion. But that programming is, there are words and there are things that get thrown out that uh, they're simplified. And when we simplify them, it robs us of some of the, the nuance. It robs us of actually thinking about them. You know, for example, like look at the, the China tariff thing, right? Trump 
did what he did with the with the tariffs against China. For the most part, Democrats were against it because Trump did it. But in reality, while that might not be the best solution, the whole argument over whether the tariff should exist or not undercut the actual argument, which is China is doing shit to fuck with the United States, especially when it comes to stealing intellectual property. But because it became a blue or red issue, this is why I hate political parties, that whole discussion or possible discussion of what to do as Americans to prevent this from happening was washed out into the argument. It disappeared. So this is something that that Weinstein kind of reminds me of, that when we read things, we should really be applying critical thinking to them. Like, this is what's being said. Is that even logical? So I'm trying to deprogram myself and get myself back into being able to look at the news and do that. So here's one example. This is the one that I've been saying I was going to talk about, just so you're not hanging on. One of the things being thrown around is secession, the idea of seceding from the United States. Yes, I'm aware that most of the people are writing succession instead of secession, which is S-E-C. Succession is when, you know, like uh, Steve Jobs steps down and Tim Cook takes over. He succeeds him. Or the, the father retires from the company and the son succeeds him. Secession means seceding, to remove yourself from the union. So, the idea of seceding from the United States, one of these things being bandied about, <laughs> this is a publicity stunt. It's not even that. It's a, it's a headline catcher. That's it. That's not going to happen. It's not, I mean, the, I won't say 100% because nothing's ever 100%, but I mean like the possibility of that Somebody actually wanting to go through that, a state actually wanting to go through that, is suicide. Because what people forget about when we get caught up in this idea is uh, that states get a lot of money for a lot of important things from the federal government. And that cut off from that federal government because they seceded from the United States, they would need to pay for that. And how do you think that they would pay for that? Well, they would have to drastically raise their taxes, which most of the people that are living in the places that they are that are living that are threatening to succeed from to secede from the nation hate paying taxes. So they're not going to feel too good about the place they live suddenly upping their taxes, and they'd have to up them a lot because not only would they be losing the money from the federal government, they'd also be losing the infrastructure. So money would be, have to be spent to build a new infrastructure. So let's break this down a little bit. Number one, I think this is probably the number one reason you wouldn't see this happen, especially in a state, in a red state. Uh, most states that consider themselves staunchly red states, they're not blue states, they're not swing states, they're Texas and you know Wyoming, Kansas, places like this. 
Alabama. Most of these states have a fair percentage of baby boomers. These fair percentage of baby boomers are retired. How do they make their money? Social Security. Cut off from the federal government, they would no longer have Social Security. Social Security takes up a huge percentage of the federal money. For every for every $100 approximately that you give the federal government, $24 of that goes to Social Security. So that's one-fourth. So think of how much a state would have to raise their taxes just to pay for Social Security for that one thing. And number two, you have things like Medicare, Medicaid, disability. So that's going to shoot things up probably another 3 to 5%. Elderly people need to be able to go to the doctor. Retired people, people who've been injured on the job, need to be able to go to the doctor. Somebody has to pay for that. Unemployment. Remember, this is the time of COVID. There's a lot of unemployment going on. Even if these these states reopened completely, decided that COVID didn't exist and reopened everything completely, there would still be a huge percentage of people that are unemployed because some businesses went out of business, some industries completely withered up. And even before COVID, there were people who were unemployed. Somebody has to pay for that. Schools. How much money do schools get from federal government funding? That has to come from somewhere as well. The military. You have a military. Well, the military and the retired military, these veterans. Where do they get their money? From the federal government. I'm not sure that veterans are going to be willing to live somewhere where they give up the military benefits that they've been relying on their whole lives. Airports. Guess what? Federal government pays for airports. So uh, your airports would be closed. Highways. Who pays for the highways? Who fixes the highways? Interstates. Yeah, the reason it's called an interstate is not necessarily the way the name says because they go between states, because Hawaii has interstates, but because they are federally funded. Post offices. Imagine if you couldn't send mail. All of a sudden, your post offices are closed because nobody's going to pay them. Nobody's going to pay the employees. Nobody's going to pay for the facilities, pay the rent on the buildings. Airports, highways, post offices. Uh, how about uh, crop subsidies for farmers? Guess where that comes from? That comes from the federal government. So when there are problems with the crop, maybe you have a bad season, there are subsidies to keep farmers in business because farmers are essential because they feed us. These A lot of these states... There's very staunchly red states that would consider seceding from the nation have a lot of agriculture. Interstate commerce. So this is pretty obvious. We make money moving things from place to place. So if you suddenly pull yourself from the union, now you have to negotiate some kind of treaty. 
because now you'll be treated as another nation. Which means in order to move things across the border into the United States, there'd have to be a treaty. And even if that was negotiated somewhat quickly, which government never does anything quickly, you would still have a period of time where it wouldn't be able to happen. So what happens then? What happens to the truck drivers who can't do their route anymore because in the middle of their route is a border that they're not, they're not allowed to cross anymore? How about this? Border patrol. Border patrol is paid by the federal government. Sure, you could send police and other officials down there, but then they won't be doing their normal jobs within the state, right? So where does the border guard come from? Because I'm going to tell you something. Remember back when we said military? I want you to think about Texas. What would happen if Texas is like, like they're saying, fuck you, we're leaving the United States? What do you think the first thing that would happen would be? Well, I could tell you that if I was a Mexican cartel, the first thing I would do is move into Texas and take them over. Because there's no United States military to protect them anymore. All of these things. Now, all of these things are something. One or two of those things is enough to derail the whole idea. But all of those things put together makes it really unlikely. So critical thinking. So when you see people talking about this kind of shit on the internet, in the newspaper, ignore it. Because it's just headline selling. There's no meat to it. You know when you should worry about it is when it starts to actually happen. Oh, okay, this is actually happening. Until then, it's doom scrolling. It's looking for something bad so that you can get upset. So you can get that dopamine rush. I'm guilty of it. I am guilty of it. Do I still have it open? Yeah, okay. I want you to also consider this before we end this section. This is something from 2019. These are the 10 states that receive the most funding from the federal government. New Mexico, West Virginia, Alabama, Mississippi, Vermont, Kentucky, Montana, Alaska, Arizona, Arkansas, and Wyoming. I think you might notice that over half those states are the states that seem to think that they can get along just fine without the federal government. Also, actually, one other thing I highlight. I just tweeted this and I thought I'd throw it in. There is a, I'm hesitant to use the word popular, far right, and I will not use the word news source because it's nothing but propaganda. They never actually post anything that's true. This is something this is something that they wrote in this is the title of an article that they wrote. Where's the date for this? August 2nd. Say Democrats war game for election includes West Coast West Coast secession, possible civil war. <laughs> Pretty funny. Pretty funny. That's why most of this shit that you read is bullshit. Because it's, there's no meat to it. 
I was just reading something by David Perel. So he has this um, series of articles that he sends. If you sign up for it, it's not his normal newsletter. It's a it's a special sign up, and it's fifty articles on writing, and it's 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 like a free course essentially. And I'm I'm about uh, twenty through. So about halfway through, a little less than halfway through. And one of them, he talks about the idea of broadness, about attacking things from too broad of a place. And I want to transition to talking about that for a minute to get out of the critical thinking about politics section of this wonderful diary brought to you by LaCroix Water because it's cold in my hand right now. What Perel says, essentially, about broadness is that when you sit to write, and this applies to other things as well, like uh, podcasting, making a podcast episode or um, writing a movie script, I guess that's still writing, but making something and coming from too broad of a place, what happens is uh, what you make is of almost no value. You know, he says that they they kind of spin out of control, but I think what happens also is that it's too shallow. Think about think about this. If I said I'm going to write an article about what is the most important thing about being alive, that's really broad. Now, unless I have actually, let's make it not one thing. Let's let's make it a listicle. 10 most important things to know about being alive. That's pretty broad. And what you're going to get is going to be fluff. Be happy. You know, like these, I mean, there's truth to these things, but it's fluff because in order to get through 10 things and in order to cover something so broad, you're not going to be able to go deep. So imagine if you just took one of those things, you said, being happy, why it's important to be happy. That's a better article already, right? But it's still broad, so it'll still be fluffy. So maybe one of the things about being happy is relating to other people. So now you have an article and you say, this article is about the importance of other people in our lives and our happiness. Well, that's a better article already, but it's still too broad. How to make friendships that last. Better article, still kind of broad. You understand where I'm going here? That oftentimes when we sit down to write something, we start too far out. We don't allow ourselves enough depth. This is why when you go onto YouTube and... Actually, I'm going to stop there. This is why some things succeed so well on YouTube. I was going to go the opposite direction. Both are true. But it's more interesting to talk about the stuff that does well on YouTube. The things that do well on YouTube are very specific. For example, Alfred, it's this uh, replacement for a spotlight search on Mac. It's very powerful. I've had it for a very long time. I've only used it for like two things because I never bothered to learn all the different aspects of it. 
So I decided this week, you know what? I'm tired of having this thing and not using it for its full potential. Let me try to learn some of these hotkeys. So that's what I did. I went onto YouTube and I started watching videos. And I could type in Alfred hotkeys and find some very specific videos that are just about Alfred hotkeys. Now, these typically are not going to get millions and millions of views, but the people that find them are going to get exactly what they need out of them. So imagine this in the context of an interview. Think of interviews that you've heard, maybe with uh, famous people. They're usually pretty boring. You know, there's one or two points, but you're not like super engaged, right? But there's, there's one or two points. They're usually boring because it's general. It covers everything, right? The ones that are really interesting is when they focus. Like when someone, someone comes on a show because they have a new book and you focus, the interviewer focuses most of the conversation about that new book. It's far more useful than just a general, so where did you grow up? And what was it like to write a book? Have you ever met blah, blah, blah? It's boring. It's boring because you're, you're skimming across the surface to get to the next question. What I imagined, and I haven't tried this yet because I, uh, I don't really do interviews, but I think you could do something very interesting in going into an interview with a person with one question and sticking to that one question. So, for example, maybe you are talking to an astrophysicist, someone who, let's even get more specific, someone who specializes in string theory. You could have them on and go, okay, string theory is really complicated. This is my one question. Can you explain string theory to me in a way that I will walk away from this feeling I could actually competently explain it to someone else? And you spent that whole episode, that whole conversation, getting clarity on that. Okay, well, you said that there are uh, that there are like different layers, and that the strings are these kind of like undulating things that move between them. What does that mean? Like, are they actually strings? Why is it called string? Th- and you just keep going deeper to really get to the understanding of that. And then maybe you have them on for a second episode and you go, okay, now that we understand the basics of string theory, can you tell me how this relates to our understanding of gravity? And you spend the whole episode talking about that. And then you have them on again and you go, okay, well, what we talked about with string theory and we talked about with gravity, does that have any effect on our understanding of time and space? Can you imagine how fantastic and how useful that would be and how it would put to shame the episode where the person has to answer the same fucking questions that everyone else asks? If you find a good interview with a celebrity and they talk about what it's like to be on the press tour, or not even the press tour, well, I can't remember what they call it, press day, I think. This is where they have like a whole day and they just go from interview to interview. 
It's, it's like it's like literally a whole day. I think they don't even move. I think that the interviewers change out. It's like, okay, you talk to ABC. Now let's talk to NBC. All right, now you got to talk to CNN. Uh, now will you uh, go over here? You can talk to uh, Entertainment Tonight. I don't even know if that's still on the air. <laughs> now talk to Vice. And 90, maybe even more than 95% of the questions you get from each interviewer are the same questions. So you have a new movie. Tell me about the new movie. How many, I mean, do you, do you really think that these people are answering these things on the spot? They know the questions are going to be answered. They're going to be asked. They prepare their answers. And then they tell them. And each time they tell them just a little bit different so that it sounds natural. Remember, uh, a lot of celebrities are actors or want to be actors. They're trained for this stuff. But how else would you make it through that day? My God, can you imagine the brain power it would take to answer the same questions over and over again and come up with a different answer every time? This is, this is what happens when people, when people, I, want, I don't want to say they're celebrities, but when people are popular enough to be interviewed multiple times by different reviewers, or not reviewers, but interviewers. You know, maybe you're a internet minor celebrity. Maybe you're an author. Maybe you're a, an up-and-coming actor. You don't get a ton of interviews, but maybe you get like interviewed like five, ten times. You're going to answer the same questions over and over again because everyone's going to ask you those same questions. So that when people are listening to those things, they're hearing the same shit. Now, granted, most people don't look somebody up and go, let me see all 10 interviews this person's done. That's that's why the strategy is repetitive, right? Because it's like, well, if we're the only interview you listen to, we want to make sure that you know this. I feel like you, what's the phrase? If you, if you ask the same questions as everybody else, you're going to get the same answers as everybody else. If you try the same thing as everybody else, you're going to get the same results as everybody else. If you read the same books as everybody else, you're going to know the same things as everybody else. If you interview with the same questions as everybody else, your content is going to be the same as everybody else's. Which is not a, you know, it's not a negative, but it's certainly not a positive. Why do you listen to that show? I don't know. I guess it's cool. You're breeding a apathy, you know? That's why, you know, like I threw out entertainment tonight. I think that that show hasn't been on the air since like the 90s. But anyways, shows like that were on the air for a really long time because they were vanilla. Nobody had strong opinions about them, negative or positive. So they got good enough ratings to stay on the air. But the shows, the things that really excel, the things that change culture, the things that people love are the things that don't do that. You know, regardless of what you feel about Joe Rogan, Joe Rogan has been successful because it's different. Sometimes it's chaos. Sometimes he's too drunk or too stoned. 
Nobody would have the, in mainstream media, would have the balls to do that. But it's something that if you are a fan of his show that you know, you accept, and that's <laughs> maybe you even think it's funny. It's just the way things happen. It's just Joe. And you know that he's going to have on people that say crazy shit. You know, like a lot of people like to say Joe Rogan is the Oprah Winfrey of this generation. I push back on that. I say he's the Geraldo Rivera. But that's mean. I think Joe's seems to be like a he seems to be a nice person. I don't know. I'm not trying to criticize him. But what I'm saying is he's succeeded because he was different. Howard Stern, same thing. Think about Seinfeld, the TV show. It was a sitcom about nothing. Crazy. Now it's considered the greatest sitcom ever made. So, I don't know. I don't know how those two topics relate. There's two things on my mind. I uh, I just find that sometimes when I'm prepping, less uh, note prepping, but more like mental and emotional prepping to sit down and do an episode like, okay, you know, like about like you're about to go into a basketball game. Okay, are you ready? You know, stretch, get everything ready. I feel like sometimes when I do that, there are just things that are on my mind that aren't going to go away. So those are, those are what are going to come out in the episode. You know, a little bit of politics, a little bit of writing, a little bit of social criticism in both. I guess that's what connects them. I don't know. I'm going to cut this one a little bit short, though, because uh, I feel like what I've done so far is complete. And if I try to push for another 10 minutes, another 20 minutes, it's not going to be pretty. You know, like when you, when you've, well, like I said, you know, like there are the things in my head that I can't turn off. When you have those things and then you get those things out and then you realize like, oh, all of the things on the top of my mind have been exorcised. Then you got nothing left. <laughs> you know, I could spend 10 minutes talking about what it's like to talk when you have nothing left. But it sucks. I listen back to it and I go, oh, stretching that a little bit there. Okay. Well, like I said, I'm empty. So, <laughs> see you tomorrow. I've gotten older too. So, for some reason, hormones and puberty uh, seem to amplify those problems. So, one of the things that I've found useful is to hold these oblique strategy cards and just do this. Move them around in my hand, shuffle them. Um, I also like to do this with tarot cards. Just move them around and then every once in a while, look at what's on it. But the problem is, you've probably noticed, they make noise. <laughs> when you're recording audio, nobody wants to hear this. One thing I've considered is um, playing my guitar while I record. Maybe not an episode, but like these diaries. Not my acoustic, but rather my electric guitar, but not have the amplifier turned on. So of, of the three of those, that would make it the most quiet. And then maybe it'd be interesting, like soundtrack underneath. And also, I don't know, 
Although I'm not sure I could talk and find find my my line of thinking as easy while playing guitar as I think I could. Okay, so let's uh I'm gonna share a couple of these cards with you. Uh do the words need changing? So you're stuck. Now, what's interesting is thinking about these in the context outside of the context that's obvious. Do the words need changing? So you're writing a song. Maybe maybe the problem is the lyrics. That's a great thing to think. If you're stuck on a guitar riff and then it focuses you over to the vocals for a little while, maybe there's absolutely nothing wrong with the lyrics. But when you come back from thinking about that, suddenly your mind has solved the guitar problem. But what about if you're doing something like Brian Eno did so many times without vocals? Interesting. The inconsistency principle is the next card. You got to figure out what that means. See the oblique part of it? Make something implied more definite. Reinforce. Duplicate. Which frame would make this look right? That's an interesting one. Framing, reframing it. Courage. That's it. Just the word courage. An exclamation point. Give the game away. Cut a vital connection. Would anybody want it? Use filters. Who should be doing this job? How would they do it? That's a good one, too. Gardening, not architecture. You can see these cards are awesome. I need to actually have them in a place on my desk that is on my desk yet underneath something, so I forget that that they are there a lot of the times. You know where these need to go? These need to go on the coffee table with all the books I'm reading. I'm starting to use the coffee table in a different way. When I first got this little coffee table for my room, my room's essentially a studio. I have my my desk, my work area. I have my bookshelves in here, my bed, and then I have the coffee table and the TV and the seating area. So when I first got it, I tried, you know, I set it up the way you would set up a coffee table in a living room. I put a plant on it. I put some books not books that I was reading, but, you know, like the, the books that you want on the coffee table. You know, like uh, Robert Frank's photography book, uh, The Americans, or My Ideal Bookshelf. And, uh, you know, stuff like that. Magazines, Dwell Magazines, My Architecture Magazines. That's what I put on there. But then as I do what I normally do, which is jump from book to book, I started realizing I had books. Over here, a couple on the bookshelf here, not stacked up like they are normally on a bookshelf, but in front of those books, you know what I mean, laying flat. A couple on the bedside table, I'd have one on the chair here, one over over here on this dresser, one in the bathroom. And so, some somewhere it clicked and I said, you know what, I'm just going to, I'm going to start putting them on the coffee table when I need to go to the, when I need a book. Just go over to the coffee table and pull one out of the stack. You know, these are the 10 that are on deck or whatever. And it's worked fabulously. So what? I, maybe I move these oblique strategy cards over there and start using that as like a staging area. Like things that I need quickly and that I'm going to keep going back to over and over again here on the coffee table. Like that. 
let's be crazy and make that a metaphor. A coffee table is like these diaries, right? This is the stuff that's on deck. This is the stuff that's that's in process. But then the episodes, the episodes are what comes from that processing, from either from finishing the books or pulling ideas out of those books, or from wrestling with what ideas come from these diaries. I don't know if that's true, but it seems like a neat framing. Let's take that card. It seems like an, a good framing for this, at least for now. So let's give three cheers for this battery, for these two batteries for lasting this long. I'm going to charge them right after this. So that tomorrow, I don't have to worry about it. Hmm. One other thing that I wanted to mention here that I almost forgot. So I've I've created, I've finished creating my website, which is essentially just a portfolio where I'm just going to start putting everything that I've made and all the links and everything that I want in one place. It's it's as much for me as it is for anybody visiting it. But one of the things that I made on the page, I don't know if I've talked about this before, but I think I might have mentioned the idea of this before. The idea of creating a page of, hey, if somebody wants to sponsor the podcast, these are the companies that I think are neat that I would like to work with. If you happen to know someone at one of these companies that can make that happen, let me know. And instead of going out and hunting for sponsors and taking what you can get, I had the idea of like, here, in my perfect world, these are the people that I'd be working with. Let's see if they come to me. You know, still doing the work to, to on my end, but also leaving the door open. And the same thing with the, uh, Something I haven't done on the podcast in a while, which is have on a guest and talk to someone. I don't particularly, I'm not particularly interested in doing interviews. I'm more interested in having just a normal conversation with someone, a natural conversation. Now, that's one of the things I really appreciate about James Altucher. I haven't listened to him for a long time. And just this week, I started listening to his podcast again. And what I appreciate immediately is his is their conversations. They're not interviews, really. And I remember when he first started podcasting, and he was awful at interviewing because he was an interrupter. So you could never really settle in. But what I what I like about what he's done now is he hasn't changed that. He's still an interrupter. But he's more restrained and he's more skillful at either choosing not to or interrupting at the right point. Because I think maybe for him it was a reframing too. Once he realized this is a conversation, I'm not here to necessarily get these specific questions answered. You know, like an interviewer goes through their list. Okay, question number three. Question number four. And so by not getting rid of that quality that he had and leaning into it and learning to use it better. He has a very unique style and it, and it works. It's one of the things that I've read about writing and I don't, unfortunately don't remember who said this, 
But they said, when someone looks at your writing, when people look at your writing, what are the things that they point out most often as off? Or I don't want to say wrong because that makes me makes it sound like I'm talking about bad spelling or bad grammar. But I mean, things that people think you're not, that you're doing wrong. You know, like you use too many big words or you simplify things too much. These are bad examples. It's usually something a little bit more esoteric than that. But, you know, why do you always compare business to fishing? Whatever that is, instead of trying to turn it off, you should lean into it. Because what that is, is the thing that makes you unique. You just need to get better at it. So by looking at it and focusing on it and and sharpening it, what you're looking at and focusing on and sharpening is things that only you can do. And I like that idea. And I like the idea of me talking about that right now out of the blue and realizing that in many ways that's what I'm doing now. That the these diaries and my desire of what to learn from the diaries and bring into the podcast is leaning in on the thing that always bothered me at least about my my podcast. Is that when I let go and I went on tangents and my my speaking would pause and you know I would not be able to come up with an example in the moment and I'd have to think. All of those things are not bad. They're just different and they're me. So by doing this daily, I think what I'm what I'm working at is exactly what I said there without intending to, is I'm honing it. I'm leaning into the me quality. I like that. I like that. So I'm going to put, I'll put a, I don't put a lot of links in the episodes for these diaries because you shouldn't have to worry about that kind of stuff. These are just mostly to listen to, to keep you company.